Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the work with me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. My guest today is Lena Ludwig of Vital Gains Mergers and Acquisitions Firm. Now, Lena started working in mergers and acquisitions and finance more than 20 years ago, and she's helped hundreds of businesses with successful acquisitions, joint ventures, and strategic growth planning. For the past 10 years, she's been a financial and administrative executive in the plant-based foods and animal rights movements. Vital Gains is a woman-owned, women-operated mergers and acquisitions consultancy focused on the alt-protein sector. The company helps emerging plant-based cellular agriculture and cultivated meat companies in scaling with existing markets and expanding into new ones. Lena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Katrina. Uh, So we were just saying off air, I'm so excited to have you on the show because this is a really important topic and you're an expert in it. And I think you're the first expert I've had who really specializes in mergers and acquisitions. And probably a few years ago in the vegan and the plant-based space, particularly, you weren't really hearing too much. It wasn't really necessarily a thing, but now there's been quite an explosive uh, growth. And I know you mentioned to me, you're getting, uh, you know, at least, you know, 15 to 20 inquiries um, per week, which is super exciting. So I'm really looking forward to doing a deep dive into helping people understand about mergers and acquisitions. So first of all, what are you seeing right now in terms of growth um, of mergers and acquisitions, particularly for vegan and plant-based businesses? Well, we're certainly seeing a surge in capital fundraising um, on the IPO side and investment side, but we're also seeing a glimpse of M&A activity starting to gain traction. Um, Of course, mergers and acquisitions have been around for a long time, even in the plant-based market. But I think that that was with the larger businesses and now smaller businesses are saying, hey, what is this all about? And they're learning that that's a way to strategically grow. And we're trying to educate the whole sector so they they know that this is an option for them. I love that. So with that, tell because it sounds kind of obvious, like the words merger and acquisition, they sound kind of self-explanatory. But nevertheless, let's um, let's have you explain what's the difference, like what's the difference between a merger and an acquisition and what does that mean for the businesses involved? Well, these days, the words are used interchangeably, but if we do drill down to it, a merger is when two similar companies come together um, and they they form one company together. So um, 
They're going to combine forces. It's usually a voluntary and mutual arrangement. Uh, they look at their strengths and weaknesses, and they're able to have congruency and overcompensate for one another's weaknesses and strengths. And they're able to create, they dilute their powers, and they create a new entity, a new company. An acquisition is a little bit different. An acquisition is when co one company literally purchases another company and gains full control over its assets, its employees, the products. And so the company being acquired is no longer has power and the buying company owns that other company. So that's the literal difference. Right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Are there any particular advantages of one over the other or does it just really depend on circumstances? It really does depend on the circumstances. Lots of um, potential clients may come to us and they think they want one thing, but they end up doing the other. Um, and we're always open to, to exploring all possibilities. Um, so it really depends on where they are in their life, in the business life and in their personal life as to what they want to do, which strategy they want to take. Got it. So let's talk about business valuation, because I know this is a really important one. And I know I watch things like Dragon's Den in the UK, which is the equivalent of the US Shark Tank. And I know one of the things that the sharks and the dragons really hate is when businesses overvalue um, what they're worth. So I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about a business valuation. So how are they calculated and, and, and what tips can you offer to help business owners understand um, you know, what uh, or how, how business valuations work? Right. So it's really um, interesting because there's no one single universal method for uh, evaluating a business, which can be frustrating to some because they want a clean formula. But in general, mm -hmm. it's probably a good thing. Um, markets have ebb and flow, and this is deemed valuable in a business. Um, and it also differs over time. So that needs to be factored into the equation. So one thing that is constant that is reviewed in evaluation are revenues and profits. So there's conventional approaches that we could spend a whole hour on easily. And that's um, examples like discounted cash flow method, um, asset based approaches. And then there's the market approach where you have a multiple and you compare yourself to other like companies um, to create the value. So um, and a single valuation multiple has no value on its own. It's only used when it's compared to other companies. So, so much goes into it. It's not just this one number or this one variable that you multiply things by. So a lot goes into a business valuation. And speaking specifically on the alt protein space, um, we're kind of experiencing a gold rush um, of investments right now. And it's kind of skewing perspectives and making valuations confusing to some because they'll see a company that has a billion dollar valuation that has a few million in revenue, but has zero in profit. And like, how do you make sense of that? So we're kind of going through that, um, the gold rush infancy of these plant-based and sell ag cultivated meat companies having these amazing valuations. So it's up to us in the investment world and the mergers and acquisitions world to craft more specific concrete formulas we can use, but they're all different. Um, and it's easy to get confusing. So it's our job to straighten it out. And so we'll be speaking on that more in the future about how the valuations work. Right. Because that is interesting, like you said about that, like because like you said, there's no profit. And then you see these other companies going, well, okay, if they've got that valuation, why can't 
I have the same valuation. Exactly. So what do you what would you say to people like that? Like if they've got say they've got a very similar say it's an alt protein product because we're obviously seeing, like you say, lots of products coming out in this sector. So if in that case, if that's it, say that you've got similar companies with maybe you know similar kind of uh, revenue, um, but you know no profit yet. Like, how do you like say to one company, well, no, yours isn't valued. Yours can't be valued like that. Like, what additional thing? Do you see? I'm trying to get how it would differentiate. If you get clients coming, well, look, my company's like that, and we've been going a bit longer. So why can't I be valued um, like that? What would you say to them? Right. So um, we would look at a lot of different key factors. Of course, financials are important, but also potential is important. So if they're able to forecast to show that their earnings can improve over time and quickly, that, of course, is a value, even though it's projected. Um, Key personnel, intellectual property, um, distribution models, those all factor in. If you have really strong components that make up your operations, that's going to be valuable. And that will come into play. If you if your numbers are just the same as that number that's worth so much money for that other company, you're going to be disappointed because you don't know exactly what it went into that number being derived the way it was. So there's a lot of really there's a lot of moving parts and every little piece has its own value that has to be factored in. Uh, good. I'm glad you said that. I think that's important for people to hear that because otherwise it can. I think there's maybe even some new players coming into the space who are maybe not in it for the ethics, but just see it as a. I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, I can come in on that, and well, and if you know, if Beyond Meat is valued at X, you know, then why shouldn't I be? But you're right. There's right. all those different um, aspects, and I suppose loans as well. Like you know, whether a business, a business might not yet be in profit, but if they've got a whole ton of loans, again, that might lower their valuation as well. I guess. Yes, that, that's a big right part yeah. of it. Yeah. Right. Thank you. So how does a business know when you know it's ready to be merged or, or, you know, or to be acquired? Like, what does it need to have in place? At what stage could a business realistically say, right, um, I think I'm ready? How, how would they know? OK, so first of all, there's some questions to ask yourself. Like sometimes you're you may be selling your business for an exit strategy. Maybe you're exhausted and you can't do it anymore and you're ready to exit. Um, Maybe it's a growth strategy. You want to sell your business because you've reached your potential revenues and the only way to expand and grow more is to be acquired or merge. And then there's the sad version where maybe sometimes it's out of desperation. You don't want to run your company into the ground and you want to salvage it. So you, uh, you look for a buyer to acquire it. So what you need to have um, in place in order to set yourself up to sell it is the first thing you need to do and what you should do is get your your financials together. Have them reviewed or audited by an accounting professional. That's going to be the first thing someone asks for. Secondly, you're going to want to envision what your business could look like after it's been sold. So What does it mean for you personally? What does it mean for your employees? What could it mean for your customers and clients? So envision what that could look like. And then the third advice I would give when you're setting yourself up is to get a professional formal business valuation. Knowing how much your business is worth will be a guide and a gauge to the next steps you take because you may decide that you don't want to sell it all. 
Got it. Is there a minimum? Like, I'm just trying to think, like you mentioned, you know, I think when we were off air, that this is typically being for large companies, big corporations is who we generally think of doing uh, merger and acquisition. So is there a minimum size of a business or a company that can take advantage of, of merger or acquisition? Um, there's not a minimum size, no. Um, I feel that some of the uh, companies that have lower revenues may be a little bit shy about moving into the space to see if that's an option. Um, they may feel like they have more work to do, but they should certainly explore it, especially if they meet one of those criteria where they're tired, they're ready to move on, they're ready to retire, that kind of thing. But there is no minimum. But keep in mind, it's the same amount of work. It could be a $100 million business or a $100,000 business. Mm -hmm. And the amount of work that goes into a transaction could be very similar. This is the same steps. So um, there's right. that to consider yeah. as well. Got it. And it's good to know that it's a, it's a, an option for people that they hadn't maybe um, thought of. And what about the flip side? So what about a, a company or a brand? It could be a vegan or plant-based brand, for example, that wants to buy uh, another company that wants to acquire them. Um, so what, what do they need to look for, um, you know, to know whether it's a good deal or not? Right. So I guess that they need to question their why, their W-H-Y. Why do they want to purchase another business? What value will it bring? Um, what's the return on investment? Are they purchasing to add assets to their existing business? What are the synergies? And especially what are the risks? So if you're a buyer, debt is something really important to look at, like we previously discussed. Look at contracts, look at vendors, um, ask the seller why they're selling. Um, that's critical. And they need to do their due diligence. I think the answer to both the buyer and the seller to know if it's the, a good deal, it'll all, all the answers are in the due diligence. That's where they figure out if it's a, a go or not, if the deal is a good deal. So you mentioned that debt's something to look out for. So what does that mean in terms of, say you, want, you really want to buy a company, you can see the potential, but it has got a lot of debt. How would that work? Would, you, would the buying business simply pay a lower amount for it? And then that would, uh, you know, the, and the, the seller would wipe out the debt before selling it? Or do, would, would the buyer take on the debt? Like, how does that kind of work? Lots of times the buyer will take on the debt. And debt isn't necessarily bad. There is such thing as good debt. Um, so when the buyer is doing their due diligence and doing financial analysis and forecasting, sometimes they want to keep the debt because it's good debt. Sometimes they want to go ahead and pay off the debt, get it off the book so they can have a clean slate. But it is. What do you mean by good debt? Can I just interrupt? What do you mean by good debt? Um, so there are certain um, good debt, like loans can be a good debt sometimes because it's adding cash flow to your business where you otherwise wouldn't have it. Um, and it's keeping your business afloat. So you may not want to pay that off because you could use that instead of paying off that loan, you could use the cash some other place. Um, so just analyzing the debt, whether it's good or bad, um, but making sure that you do find out if they do have debt. And again, it's, it's very common. I don't want to um, scare people away because they're like, oh, we have debt. Of course you do. Most businesses do. Um, but be prepared as a seller to answer honestly how the debt was, you know, how how you got the debt, how you're managing it, and how you see it going forward. Because a lot of deals are done where it's two minds coming together and just figuring out the solutions on the fly. And sometimes that's the best way to do it. And when you say sometimes a company will take on the debt, um, 
How does that work with the financial authority? Because they've given the debt, like the loan or whatever it is, say, for example, have been taken out by this entity. And then if you're buying it, how does that work? Does there have to be an, does the, the financial authority, uh, you know, entity have to agree that now this new person will take on that debt? Is that how that right. works? Right. It's a transfer of the debt many times. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. Right. And that's quite a straightforward process, typically. Right. It's the same as like, they would need to prove their financial wherewithal to take on the debt. Um, and that's sometimes right. uh, part of the actual transaction itself is to make sure those are in place, you know, the financial wherewithal to pay off this debt or to assume this debt. Um, so it's pretty general, straightforward business 101 kind of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So can you just talk us through what's involved in an acquisition? Let's say from the, uh, from the, the seller's perspective. So, uh, you know, company, has approached my vegan business they say hey we want to buy you out what are the yeah what are the steps involved in that just talk us through what's involved and also how long it takes I think would be interesting as well right so if a seller were to come to us and say we want to sell our business the first thing we would want to do is make sure they're serious about it and that they've really thought it through um, sometimes businesses will come to us and they don't know for sure that they want to and that's fine too we can help them figure that out um, one of the first things we would want to do is do a business valuation for them to find out the value of their existing business. Then we would want to do a, a buyer search for them, find uh, the candidates that would match their needs and vice versa. That's probably one of the most difficult things is finding the right match. Um, more so in a merger situation, but even in an acquisition situation, you want it to be um you don't want it to be like a hostile takeover necessarily. You know, you want it to be a, a friendly acquisition. So we would uh, do that. Then we would create an offering memorandum, an acquisition candidate report for the seller so that we, we can entertain multiple buyers. Because um, that's always nice to be able to have several buyers looking at your offering memorandum. That way, maybe multiple offers will come through that you can entertain and use to negotiate. Part of that, of course, is coming up with a price range um, for the purchase price. We help with every part of the due diligence um, from giving you a list of everything you need to have in order to do the due diligence. And we have a secure data room where people can upload all of their data. Excuse me. <clears throat> and, and the opposite is true, too. We give the seller a list so they can ask pointed questions to the buyer because it's a two-way street. We want the seller to know as much about the buyer as possible. So once the due diligence is, uh, which takes a while, it can take weeks and maybe months sometimes to do the due diligence process, depending on how quickly the data is available. Then you're gonna to want to review all the contracts to make sure your legal team has thoroughly gone through all the contracts to make sure everything is perfect. And we help with that as well. And then there's the actual transaction um, where you say, I'm going to purchase this company and it's going to be for this price and here's what's going to happen. And we also help with the implementation. We have implementation services. So after the contract has been signed, we also help literally help the seller migrate everything over to the buyer. Wow. So that's what so a typical um, uh, transaction would look like. 
Wow. And roughly how long would that take then from, I know it's obviously varies, but a rough ballpark, like what's the quickest it could happen? Would you say it would be weeks? And then obviously depending on the due diligence and, and, and other things, it could take several months. Would that be fair to say? So anywhere between a few weeks to a few months? Um, that, yes, it could fall within that. I think in general, I would say 60 to 90 days on the short end because you don't okay. want to be too... You don't want to rush it. You don't want anything yeah. to fall through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what are the costs involved in um, immersion acquisition? Because um, obviously someone would need to, you know, use someone like you, um, you know, you know, and, and it's great that you've got that all in-house. So instead of them having to, say, hire a, an accountant or a business valuation person, have all these different people, you obviously offer it in one. But what's the sort of ballpark? And I know it's going to be different for everyone, you know, different sizes of the business. But like you said, the work involved is, you know, is, is quite similar in terms of the steps. What are some ballpark figures? Um, just so people have got an idea that like, okay, I'm thinking about selling my business. Is it worth it? Like, what what, what would they have to outlay to just to get that done? Right. So first of all, an, an initial consultation is no charge. And most mergers and acquisitions firms, of course, entertain uh, long emails and long phone calls to make sure people are, because this is a very serious decision to make. It's sure, one of the biggest yeah. decisions you would ever make in your life. So it's not to be taken lightly. Um, so once that's determined that it's a good idea to move forward, we request a non-refundable retainer so that we can get the, the grunt work started. Um, and that can range between like $7,500 to $15,000 um, as the retainer, then everything else is if a successful transaction happens. So the work goes in, and then if a deal is done, there's then a percentage of the uh, transaction fee on the end. And we at Vital Games use an adjusted, discounted version of what the standard is in other industries. And what's that? So um, there's the double layman's formula, which would be, for example, 10% of the first million, nine. 8%, 6% of the second, third million. Gotcha. We do a four, three, 2% um, based on a million dollar range. Gotcha. Thank you for explaining that. I think that's just helpful for people to know because I know I've had a couple of people on who went public recently. I think they were both on the Canadian Stock Exchange and they were, I think one of them said it cost around a quarter of a million dollars to like to do that work. So I think it's important for people to know because sometimes it could be, oh yeah, it'll be great. You know, I'll you know, go public or get investors or I'll do a merger and acquisition. It's just helpful, I think, for them to know just some ballpark um, fee. So thank you so much for explaining that. Yeah, and a special um, note so to that too, um, that can also be negotiated, like maybe the buyer pays the closing cost. Um, oh, so there right. is, okay, there are yes. ways to oh, have cost savings, yeah. Depending on right, that's good to know. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad you asked that. I just assumed that, yeah, if someone, I guess, yeah, it depends which which way around it is. Okay, got it, got it. Now, it's interesting, how much control, if any, does uh, someone have? Like, say someone buys their coat. So if you're a vegan brand, plant-based brand, you've agreed to sell your business. It's all going nice. Like, do you have anything or are you able to put anything legally in the contract to kind of protect the brand that you've built in a certain way so for example a multinational decides to buy your vegan brand and obviously you know you're selling their name the brand you don't want them to then decide to change the formula and add animal pro you know add milk or something like, are you able to do that or is it just a case of nope we're buying it and then you've lost all control and they can do what the heck they want with it and that's just a risky take you certainly can uh create clauses and special language surrounding 
those things. And, you know, especially working in plant-based and vegan communities, that's so critical Um, because you don't, you want your brand to thrive and be successful. You don't want it to be suppressed. You don't want a big conglomerate to come and purchase it just so that they can make sure it goes away. But I, I feel like more and more large companies are purchasing plant-based companies because they know it's an important part of their portfolio. They want those companies to be part of their portfolio. But yes, you can create special clauses that, but it has, it can't be ambiguous. Like it has to be clear and literal and tangible. Like we're not going to add animal derived ingredients to our, to our products. Not something ambiguous, like we have to end factory farming in the next 10 years. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't put that kind of thing in there. But that's what that's one of the specialties we do at Vital Gains is we help with those ethical clauses um, and things that are specific to our industry to make sure that those are part of the agreement. And the buyer can say no. Keep that in mind. A buyer can push back and say, no, we're not going to agree to that. And that should be a red flag. Um, And and maybe there's some wiggle room along the way to to come up with a compromise. But, But definitely go for it. If you feel like that those clauses are important to the integrity of your business being successful and you don't want to compromise on your own personal ethics, then definitely ask for those clauses to be included in a, in a transaction agreement. Oh, that's good to know because I remember, I think when I, I used to write for Forbes and I remember one of the first articles I did was about that. It was about what happens if, you know, your company gets bought out. And I know a couple of the people I interviewed hadn't had such great experiences simply because they they had lost that control. It wasn't like adding animal ingredients or anything. It was just that real kind of loss of control. Um, it was interesting. So it's good to know that you can at least put those kind of things in so you know they're not going to you know, yeah, like do something like turn your vegan brand non-vegan, which would be awful, especially if you're a legacy brand and you've right. built that up for years would be quite horrifying. And I know, is it true as well that sometimes you can have deals in where, for example, they might, the company might hire you as a consultant for a period of time. Um, so maybe it's to help with the transition or just because they, they want to keep you on for a little while, but more in a consulting role. And I guess that's a possibility as well that you can, if both parties agree, that can be written in. Is, is that right, Ling? That's more common than you might think. Um, in fact, I would say more that with the deals I've closed, that's happened more times than not. That existing staff, especially a CEO or owner, will stay on as a consultant for a certain amount of years, months, maybe, but even years to make sure it's going in the right direction. Yeah. Right, right. Excellent. I think that's helpful for people to know um, that, that people, um, yeah, can do that. Now, I don't know if you can give us an example, obviously, without naming any names, we don't want to get into any legal issues, but anything you can think of where a merger and acquisition went wrong and why? Well, I've certainly been in uh, deals that have dissolved and just went nowhere. Um, but I think one of the better examples um, is this happened in the last 20 years, is there has been in the tech and media industries there's been great examples of just terrible failures. Um, And these are companies that have billions of dollars. They purchased assets of billions of dollars and they, and on paper it looked good, um, but it just went wrong and they had to go through divestiture. Uh, So it does happen and it's scary when it happens. And even when there's millions, if not billions of dollars to put towards it, to repair it, it's just dead. It won't, it won't work. You can't repair it. Um, and we saw, if you do your research, 
tech and media, it happened year after year over the past 20 years. Why do you think happens like what are some of the common reasons that things fall apart like that? What what are typically some of the deal breakers or the the things that that just make that happen that you know starts off great and then just goes completely pear shaped? What do what do you think are maybe one or two of the key factors that that make that happen? I think one, even though they have teams, teams of people, I think due diligence just wasn't as savvy as it could have been. And secondly, I think sometimes companies are so eager to own another, especially a very popular brand that they'll overpay for it. And they instantly regret it because it ends up coming back and the numbers don't jive and it ends up being a flop. So the eagerness and overpaying, even though you would think these large brands have all the time in the world and all the money in the world to do it right, they just don't. They rush it and it bites them. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really important for people to to hear that. And yeah, and especially like you say, if you're exhausted and you're ready to sell, it can be tempting to just come yeah. and just rush it through. But it's really important, as you say, to 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 take your time. And so on the flip side, what are maybe one or two or some of the most successful mergers and acquisitions that you've seen, um, and particularly in the plant based um, or protein sector to date? And why were they successful? Um, one that comes to mind is Dannon with Silk, the alternative milk. Yes. Um, yeah. Dannon realized that they did want a plant-based uh, company in their portfolio. And of course, with Silk, that gave them huge distribution model and exposure. So it was win-win for both. And then kind of leaning back on the other thing we were talking about, um, Pinnacle purchased Gardein. And in their press release, again, this is honoring the whole um, idea of the ethics part and their press release pinnacle made it clear that they totally supported this growing sector of the plant-based sector and that they were proud to to allow or let Gardein continue doing things exactly the way they were doing them now I don't know for sure if that's truly what happened but the press release reflect that reflects that and that does give us hope that these larger brands can buy the smaller ones and it be a copacetic situation yeah Fantastic, fantastic. So what are the advantages of a brand going the mergers and acquisitions route in order to expand and grow as opposed to either getting investment or even going public? Yeah, so um, I really think that it depends on, I don't think there's one better than the other. And I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think that you could certainly poise yourself for an IPO while simultaneously prepping yourself for an acquisition. I know those seem to contradict, but a lot of the legwork is the same in terms of prepping. Um, So it all depends on where your company is and where you are as to which route you want to go. If you want to be a public company and be on the stock market um, and you want to have that scrutiny all day long of being in that place. I mean, there's a lot of pro, you know, a lot of advantages that come along with that. Then definitely do that. Um, they are two different paths, but like I said, the legwork is very similar and getting yourself prepped. So it all depends on what you and your company can handle, I think. Um, and I'm looking forward to the industry kind of figuring that out, like which, which direction should you go and what does that look like? You know, kind of setting up those models so that people can play around with it. Yeah, I think it's good for people to know, because like you said, at the moment, we're seeing 
a lot of vegan and plant-based brands in particular going public and that seems to be like almost like the cool thing to do it's like oh great we've yeah. made now because we need more vegan brands to be public so we're taken seriously so you can kind of see that but I think it's helpful for people to know that there are these other routes and they may be beneficial like you say if you can make it a win-win then you know a merger acquisition could um could have I think there's been a recent one actually Veggie the online marketplace in Canada and they purchase vegan essentials which was mm -hmm. you know that so they bought an already established brand I think they had 130k subscribers you know to the email list etc um so that was quite a smart move you know instead of starting from scratch and building up this new exactly. uh, company they purchased something so that seems to be a um a win-win and now they have gone public so they did the thing where they they did the merger and acquisition and then they went public so yeah. that that's also an option very good very good anything any thoughts and I know this is not, maybe not necessarily your area but I'm just curious any thoughts about how a company should convey to its customers that um, it's going to be bought um, and I think particularly we've seen it that way around where as we mentioned some of the big multinational corporations have bought a vegan brand and then they're you know because they aren't you know company doesn't necessarily have the best track record in terms of ethics uh, all around whether that's you know animals people or planet there can be a bit of pushback from customers who have been very loyal to this ethical vegan brand for example any thoughts on how uh, a brand should or can convey to its customers that this is what it's doing and why yes so lots of times a company legally can't let their customers know yet. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And they have to wait until, until it's already release. happened. Yes, until oh, it's already happened, until the press release right. comes out. But I think that um, a lot of companies are, and, and you could you can see this on Wall Street all the time, you learn that this co company A is talking to company B about an acquisition, and that certainly gets people talking. Um, so if you can let your customers know, especially customers that depend on your business for their business. So if they're in the supply mm -hmm. chain or the technology that you're helping them with um, impacts their business, the sooner you can let them know that it's happening, the better. And you're right. And the vegan and plant-based communities, um, an impact, an, an announcement can impact so many things, um, loyalty, risk yeah. of public backlash, yeah. um, inquisition on ethics, those kinds of things. So the sooner you can let it be known. And if there are ethical clauses included, like with Pinnacle and Gardein, um, not that they had an ethical clause in their contract, I'm not sure of that, but they certainly, their press release made vegans a little bit more at ease. If there is a way you can do that, it's highly recommended. Um, but again, lots of times you have to, there's a legal situation where you can't express anything. So it's a game that, that you have to play. But the sooner yeah. the better, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the supply chain. So that's really important. And consider that because if, say, a big multinational were to buy a brand, they've probably got their own supply. Well, they will have their own supply chain <clears throat> um, and their own system. So that could impact, um, yeah, those perhaps if it's a smaller supply chain, that could impact them quite severely, I guess, couldn't it? Right. Yes. And that's actually a lot what we're dealing with right now is um, instead of a merger or an acquisition, a lot of joint ventures where or or even what's called vertical acquisition where you're not acquiring another company like yours you're acquiring someone in the in the chain um like a production company or distribution company um so instead of purchasing a company that does exactly what you do to expand your market you're purchasing the people that are working for you and now you own that company 
So vertical acquisitions and joint ventures are really popular in plant-based. Say that again, I don't quite get that. So you're you're purchasing the people in the company, but not the brand itself. Or you're purchasing, so let's say you're a, um, an, a company that has plant-based products, um, but you want to purchase the, the transportation part of the, the, um, of the model, of the business model. So you purchase the trucks and the employees, you purchase the transportation company that has been working to get your product from A to B. Instead of using them as a vendor, you now own them. Oh, okay. So if it was a plant-based brand and they had their own transportation Right. company you if and they okay so another a business will come along and buy the transportation company but then could the original brand still use that it would depend they could it would depend on the yeah ah, yeah interesting so oh, that's fascinating so people can sell part of their businesses as well is what you're they saying they can sell you the assets necessarily... of some business yes right. or, and keep right. some of them oh interesting okay so you can do almost like part acquisitions um could take place interesting I'm glad we covered that that was uh, that's interesting so I know you touched on this actually already so basically about how um you help so the the kinds of services that you offer I mean you literally hold people's hand from beginning to end you've got obviously your network of uh, people from lawyers and accountants etc that basically take people from step to step is there anything else you want to add or what's the benefit of working I guess with a, a consultancy like Vital Gains? Well, uh, so we do do full transactions, but we also do custom bespoke projects. Like if you just needed a business valuation, we offer that service. If you just wanted to do put your feet in the water and, and do a search for a seller, we could isolate that and just do that. Um, we do a lot of financial modeling and a lot of risk assessments based on very specific criteria for companies as well. So we do the small stuff too as standalone projects and we're happy to do that. Um, so that's that. And then secondly, when it comes to working with us specifically, I feel like because we've, we're 100% vegan, so we understand the, the missions of a lot of these companies. We've been in the industry a long time. We know how to close deals. We know how to negotiate. Um, and we understand the values of the companies and I think that that can enhance a transaction a lot better than going cold to some agency that doesn't understand the marketplace at all so we feel like we are at a special sweet spot right now absolutely I mentioned we were just off air before we came on you've been vegan for 26 years so you're the real deal when it comes to that which is wonderful do you work um globally uh Lena so you know is it if a company in Australia or you know Canada or you know UK whatever um comes to you and wants to to work with you um can you do that and can you handle like international transactions so say a company in the UK um wants to buy a company in a brand in the US like can you do all of that do you work globally we do work globally we as advisors now we can't do the full transaction within other countries without the help of someone on the other end so we would at the get-go recommend that they have the legal and financial staff that they need to help close a deal um, with with the laws and legislations and regulations and um, all the issues that come with the borders so we could still advise both for the for a U.S. company or for a European company or global company, um, that's not a problem. But we were not shy about saying where 
our capacities, you know, ends and where we would need help on the other side. Gotcha. So basically, if it's uh, you work predominantly in the US in terms of managing the whole thing from end to end, so mm -hmm. between mergers and acquisitions between US-based brands, um, but with global, uh, you can advise on it, but people would need to have slightly different like legal and financial teams in their particular country. Correct. To do that. So you, you're kind of like the middle person advising them and making sure they've got the right people in place kind of thing. Right. That being, right. Gotcha. Okay, good to know. Good to know. So finally, this has been great. It's been so helpful. I think people are going to get so much out of this episode because it's, yeah, it's just really, really important stuff and great to know that there's such a, yeah, there's a specialist uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, firm in the vegan and plant-based and all protein space. So I guess just finally, um, Lena, what are your predictions? Anything you'd like to say about the future in terms of the growth of mergers and acquisitions in the vegan, plant-based and alt-protein sector? Well, first of all, I think it's inevitable that it, that the sector is going to consolidate and grow. Um, and it's nice to be able to have a place where we can allow this to happen in our little industry. Um, I think that the rest of the world, I think it's becoming more and more mainstream, which is what we've been waiting for for years and years. So we're really excited about that. So we, we foresee more companies being interested in, in mergers and acquisitions, even if it's on the smaller scale. Um, we want people to know that it's at least an option for them. We see consolidation continuing to happen. And then as we add in cultivated meat and fermentation and all of these other technologies, it's just going to grow exponentially. And we want to make sure that we have the right business acumen, the right services available in this industry so that as a group, we can really do it the right way from the start and let the growth happen and let us mingle with the, you know, the other industries in the food and beverage sectors. Um, let us come together so that their portfolios can strengthen and we can make vegan and plant-based foods and beverages mainstream and accepted and normalized. Love it. That's wonderful. This has been so helpful. So everyone, do go and check out the Vital Gains website, which is vitalgains.com. If you're watching the video of this episode, you can see that URL scrolling along the bottom of your screen. And if you're listening to the audio version of this episode, that link will be on the show notes page. Thank you so much for joining me, Lena. It's been super helpful. Love what you're doing and really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 